Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. Today, Jeff Richard from Chaosium joins me, and we discuss RuneQuest and other groovy things. As one can surmise, RuneQuest has taken a fancy as of late, and it is one of those games I've wanted to play for at least one score in 10 years. For those that are interested, I created a Patreon. If you don't pledge, I recommend that you follow my Patreon and enjoy the free content. I plan to experiment with this platform and use it as a mini blog slash newsletter. Time will tell if it's a good idea or not. Adventure beckons us, sisters and brothers. It is time to get rambling. Hello, Jeff. Well, howdy. Well, Game Hole Con uh, was quite a wonderful thing, and I was wandering around. And uh, as I was wandering through the, the booze, I saw this Chaosium uh, uh, spread. We had uh, Call of Cthulhu. Uh, and, but then there's also this beautiful spread of RuneQuest books. Beautiful, 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 beautiful RuneQuest books. And then I see that your name is on these RuneQuest books. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so I do know because we have uh, Greg Stafford and Steve Perrin. So I had Steve Perrin on earlier uh, this year. And so it sounds like he was on charge initially early on back in the would have been like late 70s, early 80s of doing mechanics. But it's evolved since then. It's changed since then. There's stuff that's been added. So what has been your history and your role with RuneQuest? Well, I got brought, well, two parts. I started as a fan, of course. RuneQuest was the game. Uh, I started role-playing in the late 70s, early 80s. And um, uh, initially, this was out in California in the, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And one of the neighbor kids had an older brother who had the original white box set. And so we, we stole it from the, the older brother and tried to try tried to play a game out of it. You know, he, we, we had miniatures, we bought miniatures. We knew there was something cool going on here. We tried to read the rules. We had no idea what we were supposed to do. So it basically turned around into a bunch of kids playing the equivalent of play school or, or Legos with the miniatures and telling stories about the cool stuff we did, which at a certain level was right. That actually is what we were supposed to do. We just couldn't figure it out with the game system. And it wasn't until... Um, uh, someone picked up Jim Ward's uh, Metamorphosis Alpha that we actually figured out how the, the rules should work. So like everybody, we started well, wait, playing wait a minute. That's, that, Wait, that's interesting. So the Rosetta Stone was Metamorphosis Alpha. Absolutely. <laughs> actually, that was the first one. And it was the first one where, we, where the, it was the first game where there was something. It was not simply you're playing a bunch of figures, you know, taken out of a war game being uh, being thrown onto a board there's something else going on some sort of big uh mystery and big story that you're exploring and it's tied in instead of it being um and again i'm i'm i'm, I'm not trying to be too derogatory but instead of it being kind of boiled down um uh tolkien pastiche it, you know, uh, Metamorphosis Alpha was this avant-garde 1960s, 1970s generationship uh, science fiction. I mean, you got to remember in the context of its time, that was, it was out there. And it was like, oh, okay, this is how the rules work. You, we had rules that interacted with the weird stuff going on in the setting 
you wouldn't be able to to make up if you were treating this just as a a hey this is kind of uh amped up play school figures going around doing stuff and so yeah it was kind of the rosetta stone after that then we were able to figure out dnd and then gaming in in beginning of high school you know we had hit all the classic dnd modules of first edition uh first edition you know white plume mountain and expedition to the barrier peaks which in the time was mind-boggling awesome and it started petering down and then a friend of mine brought in this game this game he said jeff jeff i got this new game and it's 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 based on that board game we played last year uh white bear red moon uh dragon pass and hey you can play anything you want you can play a troll heck you can play a wear pig how cool is that <laughs> and uh, you know so we started playing RuneQuest, and and after that you know and this is the early 80s after that basically RuneQuest became the default uh a game for me for the last Gosh, well, if it's the early 80s, last 40 years. Uh, and it just started in as a fan and a player and then a GM. And then later I met Greg and Greg and I started writing together in the 1990s. And uh, uh, Greg was working on a novel and I was, was helping him out um, being basically a sounding board. And at some point... Um, the the writing tasks uh, began to switch where I was doing an awful lot of the world development and Greg was being more of a sounding board for me. And um, we ended up uh, Greg turning over the keys to his Glorantha setting to myself and Rick Mainz at the time we had a, a little company called Moon Design. And then uh, one thing turned to another, and when in 2015, we had um, Greg and Sandy asked us to come in and, and uh, bail out Call of Cthulhu, uh, bail out Call of Cthulhu and, and Chaosium and, and take over the management and ownership of Chaosium. Uh, we realized at that point, well, what we need to do, we need to make sure that there is a new edition of RuneQuest that is very much the version that Greg wanted it to be. And then I took the lead role on that. Um, we brought Steve back in and got uh, Steve, in, uh, Steve Perrin was involved in this, got a ton of feedback from uh, uh, Sandy. And of course, Greg and I, uh, you know, we'd been writing together for over 20 years. So Greg was very, and Greg gave me all of his notes and all of his never published editions of everything. And all of that put together uh, and we brought in, um, uh, Ken Rolston, uh, now uh, who we all affectionately call Uncle Ken. Uh, Ken Rolston, if you guys, I, I don't know if you remember the name. No, I don't. Ken, Ken goes way back to the uh, early years of Dragon Magazine. And then uh, for a while, he was the, the line editor, the manager for RuneQuest when it was uh, being published by Avalon Hill. And then he jumped on to bigger and better things and ended up being the, the lead designer for a little game called Morrowind. 
Um, and <laughs> too bad and, it never and, panned out for him. Exactly. You know, never. Yeah. You know, and and actually, Morrowind is filled. Morrowind and the entire Elder Scrolls series is initially it was very much an homage to RuneQuest. So there's a lot of of that built into it. And so, taking a long story. Uh, around 20, I think we came out with the new RuneQuest in 2018, and somehow at that point I found myself uh, being Mr. RuneQuest, uh, especially after Greg and Greg passed away, and then this year uh, uh, Steve passed away. So it, you know, it, it the the torch got passed on to another generation, and and that seems to be my job now, which you know there could be worse jobs. In the world. <laughs> there could be much worse jobs. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, flipping through uh, the book, uh, the books, um, I and also seeing some stuff online that's been posted, the, 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 I'm going to say investment, even though that's not a good word, but I'll say it because it's, it's going to be the, the, the money put out, that had to be put into the artwork. You has, you've, you've kind of taken, I think you made a unique look for RuneQuest to kind oh, of, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's not comic booky, but it's, it, it's kind of both fits in with, I think the, uh, the art or iconography or whatever of maybe, uh, like, uh, seems like like Indian temples and places like that. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of, it's a combination of like, of what you would see from real world mythology and how it's represent was represented to kind of also modernizing it with beautiful colors. Yes. Well, uh, although keep in mind that in the in in the ancient world was far more colorful yes. than we like to 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 think about. Um, we have this assumption that the past uh, we have basically two color palettes when we think about the past. We either have the generic medieval fantasy everything's covered in mud and shit uh, color palette, yeah, uh, or we have the the uh bbc i claudius production of uh, uh ancient world with you know all these beautiful white marble statues right and in the ancient world the ancient world they painted everything as garishly as possible you know it looked more like a you know that the, the temples in the ancient world looked more like the their their color palettes probably resembled more the uh uh, graffiti you would see on a wall in a barrio in Mexico, Mexico City, than is you know any um, anything that we normally would associate uh, pop culture wise with the past. And so what we went with RuneQuest, we went very um, in the art. We wanted to bring that color and vibrancy uh, uh, to the art, and also uh, RuneQuest and Glorantha is a it, it's it's very much rooted in ancient world, real world mythology. Uh, in the you know, ancient Indian temples is a um, uh, 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 Tibetan stupas. Uh, uh, Greg, um, uh, about twenty years back, Greg was lucky enough to go on a um, uh, to go to Katahoyak. Uh, in in Turkey and go to a number of these really ancient um, Neolithic uh, ruins. So a lot of that, but it's also American. There's a right. lot of the uh, the the the, the geography um, 
and and the color palettes of the American West and the American Southwest in in Glorantha. And we also wanted to bring that to it. So you see, you know, you've got a lot of of mesas and 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 terrain and some of those 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 pieces that look like um, you know could be the the coastal range in California or the Sierra Nevadas or the 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 Great Basin in Nevada. Uh, and and all of that was really important to capture in the art. And uh, I think we pretty much all succeeded on it. It certainly, we wanted it not to look like any other fantasy out there. Yeah, and you did it well. And I think the idea is it's also consistent, even though there may be some that are more like flat, uh, but the, the, the colors and everything all pulls it together in a unified way. Oh, thank you. Yes. That, and, and it's also, uh, we use more i i think almost i'm trying to think do we have any amer yes we have uh most of our artists are european uh we have um of our primary artists i think only mark smiley and michelle lockamy uh are american most of them are from france or eastern europe so you know louis Muzi, who also does a lot of work for call of cthulhu um uh, uh, Anna Orlova, um, uh, uh, Asi Hikala, who does did that beautiful cover for um, the starter set. He's out of Finland, and then um, also some of the really some of my favorite pieces in the starter set is from um, uh, a uh, southern Indian artist that we have um, who who does absolutely amazing stuff. And of course, for him, he's coming in with this from a, you know, fantasy uh, comments. Oh, well, I'm just, you know, kind of drawing on Indian folklore, uh, you know, my own folklore yeah. for a lot of the pieces there, which I love. Right. I mean, I, uh, I, I, mythology is a worldwide thing and it's something that is so rich and so diverse that there's i i find it inexplicable that in fantasy gaming we normally draw on to extent we draw on anything we draw on um uh either a cleaned up version of medieval england or you know half remembered bullfinch's mythology Exactly. And, and I think what you, at least visually in doing just a little bit of reading is you're, you're kind of combining both the familiar with the, uh, with the stuff that's not familiar. So you kind of have that combination where it's something that is kind of evocative and is, um, I don't want to say, uh, <laughs> there's probably improper words, but, uh, it's enticing because it's, it's different from ours and it, it, it draws us in and thinks we think differently about it. Because in some ways, they, I think, you know, the gods shouldn't be thinking like we think. They shouldn't be acting like we act. They're immortal. They're eternal. Yeah. They're not just, a, you know, it's, 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 if you, if you want to have um, the divine or spirits be a real thing in your, in your game, in your fantasy, in your books, your setting, it, to me, it's so un, um, the idea that they're just really powerful ordinary people is to me very boring and unfulfilling uh you know as much as i love the marvel cinematic universe and their movies i mean you know thor and loki are just they're just superheroes right 
And uh, so that doesn't raise any, inter to me, any interesting questions about what is the relationship between people um, and the other world, the spirits, the gods, the, the cosmos itself. And, and these are questions that, you know, we as human beings have been asking in one form or another for, uh, you know, longer than recorded history. And it's a ripe subject for playing around with in a, you know, what better place to play around with these sorts of questions than in a, uh, uh, a fantasy RPG. Yeah. And I think, you know, for, you know, religion, even if people didn't fully believe in the power of the deities or whatever, still the, the, the holidays, certain rites, celebrations, they were all steeped into that, maybe given of alms, whatever it may be. But it just seems like, you know, that religion in a lot of ways is just kind of is, even though it's kind of expressly out there as far as you have clerics, but it's so sterile that there practically really is no religion. Oh, yeah. I would say in most modern fantasy, there is none. It's 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 as dry. It's as dry and sterile as our own uh modern age you know we 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 and and one of the things greg always impressed on me is that human beings under we we like to pride ourselves on being rationalist materialist logical thinkers but we're not wow. we 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 think in terms of stories and that these stories, these these little narratives that we put together, that's that's the backbone on which we we try to understand the world, and and mythology is you know very much the core of how do we how do we really try to put together and understand all of the things around us, not just our narrow specialist uh, specialized interest. You know, we can we can maintain a degree of of objective clarity on this on a particular field that we really know a whole lot, and then we, for the rest of the the other ninety five percent of our life, we we go back onto our mythology, <laughs> and, and you know, and that's not a criticism no. of anybody. It's just how we we human beings operate, and it 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 it's always strikes me that fantasy rarely plays around with that and i think maybe that even goes back to tolkien who who actually if you you know you think about lord of the rings there isn't a lot of religion no. at all there it's very you know just not present uh, now moorcock is something of uh you know uh, a response that there are the gods of chaos, the gods of law involved in it, but they're all just such complete dicks that, you know, they all, all, they, all they, are they right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Neither one is good. Law exactly. or chaos. Exactly. And, you know, I think you got to get to someone, you know, maybe Zelazny, you know, Lords of Light plays around with, um, uh, uh, you know, quite a few um, religious themes in it. Uh, if, if, you know, if you're listening to this and you're, you're unfamiliar with Zelazny's Lord of Light, pick it up. One of the great, one of the great sci-fi fantasy crossovers okay, of all time. I'll have, to, I'll have to check that out. I wonder if it's on audiobook. <laughs> I'm going on vacation. That might be a, a good opportunity to uh, do an audible. 
I would hope it's on it. It's it's in my opinion, it's the la- a far better than the Amber series. But you know, you look at fantasy, and it is um, often very um, whitewashed when it comes to these sorts of issues. Uh, I think, uh, other than Zelazny, I think Gene Wolfe, uh, in his uh, Soldier of Mist series plays around with it you know what did people how do people actually think about the world and try to understand it but yeah it's a it's 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 an area that we have a curious blind spot for and and RuneQuest lets us explore that and it lets us explore something that is at a certain point unfamiliar but then we get into it and it's it's very familiar because all of these these mythological archetypes, we still recognize them all. They're all lurking in the background. Well, I think it's I mean, maybe I'm oh, I think what's interesting too, correct me if I'm wrong, because my reading's just been superficial, but there's is there like five sets of of I don't want to say it's icons, but of runes that you have association with, and those five each one of those is a pair for your character. Yes, we have so in a, when you make a rune quest character, everybody picks um, you pick a couple of elemental runes. That you're strong in, you know, air. These are the classic elements, more or less: air, fire, water, earth, uh, but also darkness and uh, and the moon. Uh, but you, then you have a set of of opposed runes, polarities. Uh, so change, stasis, life, death, um, and you 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 basically pick your ratings in these, and they these define. Um, not only your character's personality, but at a certain level, your character's uh, your your character's magic. What gods your character is likely to be able to um, connect with, and and you can use them to um, you know kind of get a little bonus on certain skills that are related to uh, simpatico to those exactly. So it's a way of basically making your characters. Uh, psychology matter in the game but it also ties in with the mythology too very much so so (laughs) well but but if you think about it you know i i I, again um uh if you if you're familiar all with uh carl jung uh the it's only a hop skip and a jump from carl jung to joseph campbell uh, right. to to mythology, that the relationship between psychology and mythology, you know, that is a a a very permeable border. And and so in RuneQuest, we really try to play with that. That you know, the, your character's psychology is going to get tied into the mythology of the setting. And I th- yes, and I think what then it also ties you in with the you know, by mythology, just even also with the religion, also by extension. Yeah. And so then it all fits in everybody's quote unquote religious to some degree. Yes. In 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 so in RuneQuest, um to deny the the relevance or existence of of gods and spirits is would be asinine. Right. Because they, they, <laughs> they, 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 you know, it's a flat world. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's an empirically flat world. We can sit there, we can do uh, I can't remember the uh the name of the Greek scholar who who did the experiment to to show the curvature of the earth through math. Um oh was the, uh, there was the librarian who measured the world. I forget he was in like in like Alexandria 
Yep. And he hired, he had the king give him these boys who are trained to have a set pace. And he measured from one location to a well, because one time during the year, the sun shone directly down. And he calculated within like 200 miles the circumference yep. of the earth. But- <laughs> Yeah, well, so you do that same experiment, Glorantha, and what you're going to come out with is it's flat, and uh, and 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 that the, the world really is as we imagined it in the in the ancient world, and you know once you make that hop, well, of course everybody is religious in their own way because it's um it it to uh to I I. You know, we have a running joke, some of the writers, that that somewhere in Glorantha, there's a bunch of overeducated uh, scholars that have formed a secret round earth society. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And, 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 and you know, scribble, uh, scribble justifications for, oh, well, really, the world is round. I'm sure of it. Um but of course, in the setting, it's a it's a it's a it's a flat Earth. Uh, there is a physical underworld. You can you know you go to the underworld when you die, but you can also uh, go there as a character and uh, go on adventures like uh, uh, Odysseus uh, uh, did and go into the underworld and hey, you know hang out and meet your meet the your former compatriots that died in battle or died in a an adventure gone horribly wrong. Yeah, and uh, I think what's also because I had a uh, guy I know was wanting to do a Bronze Age game. This is before I read um, RuneQuest, and he's and I said, you know, one of the things I think you need to do is just take the worldview that the worldview of the of the ancients was the right worldview, not yes. our modern understanding of the world. And then when I was reading through uh, RuneQuest, I was flipping through. It was talking about diseases, and it explicitly states that diseases are not caused by bacteria. It's like, right. It's, it's, it's like no. it's, it's spirits and miasma. It's not. It's not the sort of microbes. That's ridiculous. Yeah, well, exactly. What the heck is a microbe? <laughs> well, and this is the and this is one of the things that's wonderful about role playing games is it allows us to get out of our environment. And try to under put ourselves in the in the the worldview of somebody not us. Yeah. Um, somebody from the ancient past, somebody of a different culture, of a different society, of a different species. And and you know, it 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 allows us in a entertaining manner with our you know, with our friends and, and with a, an excite, hopefully with, you know, some fun, exciting gaming activities. It also allows us to, to open our mind and, and explore different ways of looking at the, at the world. And, and I think that's an incredibly valuable activity, you know, not to, to, to get too much on a soapbox, but I think that being able to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes is or sandals or bare feet for that matter is an incredibly uh a valuable activity right especially in this world where we spend entirely too much of our time now you know especially in the last two years we've we spend ourselves very much in our own you know techno uh technological bubble where we we definitely filter information coming into us uh because you know 
that's probably what most of us do for our job. And, and you know, given the biggest way that we have to socialize right now uh, is often also remotely that the, the exercise that we have in any role-playing game of, of trying to, Im- to imagine ourselves outside of our own box, I think is, is incredibly valuable and rewarding. Yeah. And so with- yeah, I definitely agree. And I think those, those have been, as far as my experience, I know some people just enjoy just going and hacking stuff, but I think some of the most enjoyable uh, uh, things I've done, especially at uh, game conventions, when there's, you know, where you can try these different kinds of games is to actually, you know, push that and think through those types of things. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with, with some hack and slash. I'm I'm running a game. I'm running a game for my, my 12 year old son and my nine year old daughter and some of their friends. All right. What is most of the adventure about? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, that there are bad guys, they fight it, but I'll also get these interesting dialogues where, you know, my daughter will say, well, I wouldn't do this even if it makes sense because I'm an elf. That's not how I think of the world. Right. And, and that's, that's the getting yourself out of yourself and trying to imagine the world from a, a different perspective. And, you know, you think about that. What other chances do we get to do that? Yeah, because um, er- everything that we do for the most part is consumption rather than actively engaging. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh that's the other thing that's wonderful about um, – uh, role-playing games, board games to a lesser extent, but in a role-playing game, it's one of our few leisure activities where we get a group of friends or associates together and we actively create something. You know, I get, I guess we could go back and build a barn and raise a barn all together, you know, the, the old barn yeah, raising yeah. holidays, but uh, you know, that's a lot of work for a role-playing game. <laughs> <laughs> and not everybody wants a barn. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'd love to have a barn, but I really don't have the space for it. But you know, you you, you see what I mean? Oh, yeah. is, is that it's 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 um, and I think a, uh, an awful lot of the time we as gamers we we understate and underappreciate how remarkable gaming is. You know, yes, it's it's a fun, entertaining thing that we do. Hey, it's a you know, it's a great way to spend you know three or four uh, hours with with friends. But it's also got all of this other really remarkable activities going on. You know, you're you're um, you're you're actively imagining the world through different eyes. You're you may be creating an entirely new world with a whole set of different rules and 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 customs and and cultural expectations. And we're also actively creating something um, with our friends collectively. Yeah, uh, and I think the thing too is in kind of even though I'm no expert on improv at all, but in some ways you are, there's kind of a certain set of rules, but you're also reacting what other people are doing. And so there's a lot of like understanding what they're doing and trying to do your responses based on what they're doing. And that's what I think is also kind of interesting too, as far as kind of being, I don't want to say empathetic, but there is a certain amount of, of that that goes on too. Oh yeah. It's uh, Ken Rolston who was, uh, 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 
long history with with RuneQuest. Used to be the um, uh, line manager for it when it was being run by uh, Avalon Hill. I think I, I I mentioned his name earlier. Uh, Ken described to me role playing games are interactive improv improvisational radio theater. Yes. And where everybody so, who, who who's playing can break character and laugh, and it's okay. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, just just a second. I better text my wife. <laughs> my my mom just my mom was just calling. So and she's in a uh, uh, she's in a what time is it? She's in a mom. So she's uh, I'm supposed to take her out for ice cream here, some biscuits and gravy. So she's all excited about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and 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 kind of continuing because I think if I remember the 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 theme of this is just ramble. It is, um, <laughs> and and rambling uh, along the lines. If you look at all of the Chaosium games, this focus on the psychology of the character of the player character is really key to. Um, all of our major lines, you know, in Call of Cthulhu, uh, you're, you've got your character, one of, but the, you know, with the usual hit points and, and, you know, how many, how many bullets do I have, blah, 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 blah. But the stat that everybody cares about all the time is, am I losing sanity? Right. Uh, I was just running, um, I was just running uh, um, Masks of Nayala Hotep last night for my wife and some of our neighbors. Uh, and but it'll be a long game. We'll be running for years. Uh, this will be the third time I've done I've done Masks uh, over the many years that 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 campaign's been out. Uh, but we had to, one of the characters sees a uh, sees a dead body in an unexpected place um, and is horrified and. You know, the character loses loses some sanity, and the player is like, "Oh God, I'm already losing sanity." Oh, you know, I'm I, I'm I'm gonna have to, you know, I've got to figure out how much I want to expose my character, um, not to the risks of being shot at or whatnot, but to the to the dangers of of getting sucked in too deep into the mystery because I'm gonna go insane if I do. Uh, it. You know, so you've got this constant concern about your 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 psychological well-being in Cthulhu, and then you go to RuneQuest or Pendragon, and you have you know, your character's psychology, your personality interacts directly with the setting. Uh, in RuneQuest, it's with the runes and 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 the the various passions. With Pendragon, it's with the personality traits and passions, and and there's a they're not just a negative uh, game mechanic where the GM can periodically hit you on the head and say your character wouldn't do this, or you know, there there's a they've got a big positive aspect to them. So what you get in these games, you get characters often uh, players often role playing up some of the less useful parts of their personality because they get bonuses for doing that. It, it, you know, it's easier for them to do tasks, uh, skills and activities that are in sync 
with what they've said their character's personality is. So they play it up because they it's it's something that gets them a, a, a mechanical advantage. And so they're using these um, the rules to d- interact with their character's psychology, which also interacts with the setting that the characters are operating in. And it's something I've always loved about Pendragon, and it's something we were really happy that we managed to port into uh, to RuneQuest. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if you ever played uh, GURPS. No, uh, I was a hero those... system person myself. Okay, it's had the same thing. Oh, that yes. The advantages, you know, so you would take disadvantages, and disadvantages actually were the only interesting thing about your character in most yes. systems. Um, but of course, you bought these disadvantages, and you you really didn't want to trigger the disadvantages because right. because they weren't they they were interesting things about your character. But there was nothing that that you know the only real gain you got from the existence of that disadvantage is you got more points so you could buy you know additional skills or or advantages. So you didn't use these. These, these flaws about your character or limitations about your character to run wild with your character because you were dising at a certain level mechanically you were disencouraged from using your disadvantages. Well, I think I think right. I think you're dis and the, what it also does is it requires then since you are not incentivized to use it, it requires the GM be required and you've got four or five people playing each with four or five disadvantages. Unless you pre-write scenarios. For those, that's just too much cognitive load for a GM to do. What you really absolutely, yeah, and absolutely, and then people get upset mm. because you know what the GM usually remembers is. I remember, you know, I remember Claudia. Her character has, um, you know, her character has a cocaine addiction. I'm going to hit her with a stick, uh, and I should be doing that for everybody. But the only one I can actually remember on the fly is the is this one and. You know, then you get a feel that that well, that's unfair. The GM's telling me how I should be playing my character, and what I what a, you know, Greg Greg came up with a way of well, well, let's incentivize the players to play up their personality traits. If my if my um, if if I've said my character is fanatically brave, well, let's incentivize them to actually be fanatically brave. And if they act cowardly, their brave is going to go down. They can choose to behave in a different manner, but that cool Benny that they've gotten right. is going to, going to start going down. And what you find is, is players, you know, uh, players are now incentivized to to role play their character, and so they role play it wildly. They're like those old experiments from the '60s with the uh, the rhesus monkeys, you know, taking the pellets that have cocaine in it, you know. <laughs> uh, and sorry, I'm playing. Ben- we're running Call of Cthulhu, so I, I'm afraid I've, I've I've been, you know, characters player characters with. Uh, uh, drug abuse problems <laughs> <laughs> seem to be a running theme here, um, but you, you know they, 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 that mechanical, mechanically incentivizing the player to do what they've already said they want their character to do is you know one of the great game design 
uh, things that that Greg Stafford came up with the 1980s. And it's something I I absolutely love in a game. And and now when I play game systems that there isn't that I feel um, I feel curiously incomplete with my characters. Right. I think you also load up characters with this might be the wrong term, but like loves and hates. Yes. Yeah, because isn't that what drives us? Yeah, it's like, I hate the Lunar Empire, but I love this. But all of a sudden, well, what if somebody from the Lunar Empire is part of your party and you need to trust them? It's just like then you're in conflict and, you know, it's... And, and conflict creates stories. Oh, yes. And, 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 and my favorite characters are characters that have um, passions that they care strongly about that are at a certain point diametrically opposed. You know, people that are in internally in conflict are great characters. Oh, you know, I, agree. I, you know, I am loyal. I, I am loyal to Argrath White Bull, fanatically loyal to him. I hate the Lunar Empire as much as I'm loyal to Argrath White Bull. And what do I do when Argrath White Bull makes a truce? Yes, with the Litter Empire, <laughs> or says do, that do you this go Orwell on this 1984. Yeah, I've always, yeah. always loved the I always loved the Lunar <laughs> Empire, <laughs> and 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 start developing a a a, a, a little twitch <laughs> that comes up from time to time. Uh, who was the uh, Inspector Clouseau's boss in the oh, old Pink Panther movie? Remember so. that's so classic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know this is um to me this is the joy of the 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 mechanical systems that greg and steve and and uh sandy as well you know all brought into chaosium and you combine it with you know settings like glorantha and runquest and for me it it just it it you know, I've been gaming for, I've been actively gaming in their settings now for far, far longer than I want to believe, uh, want to imagine, and it it it's never grown stale, which is also something. I know I I can always go back to RuneQuest, I can always go back to Pendragon, I can always go back to Call of Cthulhu, and um, you know, I'm not sure that I can say that a lot of, about a lot of rule systems and and mechanics. You know, I can play it and I can enjoy it. And I go through it and I'm done with it. You know, I, I don't want to revisit that for 20 years until I've forgotten all the things that I didn't enjoy about it. Yeah. And we we played uh, Delta Green, which is kind of a, I guess, a stripped down version of uh, Call of Cthulhu. Yep. And uh, and I think what was interesting is that with those mechanics, with the, uh, the sanity or whatever it's called mechanics, is a lot of times it it puts characters in very uncomfortable situations. <laughs> it's like you got to deal with it. You got to do a thing, and you know it's the right thing to do, but you also know it's going to erode your character. And you yep. also know sometimes the players have characters that you got to take care of. You know, like there's one person who got compromised. I call the handler, and they're like you got to put him down. I'm like oh. <laughs> Hey Jimmy, come here. <laughs> it's like it, it didn't make me feel good, but it was part of the story, and everybody understood that. It wasn't like a, you know, but that's just the nature of the game, where I think it forces us into situations 
that are very interesting, even if a bit uncomfortable, but not in a way that's like disturbing in a way that's really disturbing. You know, it's like, well, exactly. The point of putting yourself into creative different situations isn't for you to, you know, it's, it's, it's for you to, um, think about the world a little bit differently. It's not for you to get, you know, psychologically abused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's because uh, at the end of the day, it's a fun game. You know, you want this. Right. You want what was this, the narrative that came out of this? It's a fun narrative. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, even if at the time there can be elements of it, you're like going, Oh God, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, but you, uh, 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 there's a, at the end of it, it's always got gaming should always be an activity where, you know, everybody playing the game, running the game, they're all having fundamentally a good time. And afterwards, they are all, hey, this was fun. I enjoyed myself. So, you know, you can be in an uncomfortable situation because that's part of, of dramatic tension. Right. But, you know, don't be stupid about it. <laughs> exactly. So when you guys came up with a new edition, um, you know, you, you also are dealing with, I think you're in a, in a very similar situation with a lot of the, um, we'll call them, I'll call them legacy games. I'm not sure if that's the term, but you know, game systems have been, been around for a while. Uh, I guess the question would be, has there, is there things that you're still tied to that you wish you could have let go? that you have to kind of in a way keep because of, of, uh, I don't want to say backwards compatibility, but I guess backwards compatibility. Well, we made very early on the decision that we would build, uh, the, the new edition of RuneQuest off, uh, the, uh, rules mechanics of Rune, of the second edition of RuneQuest, which was the mo that that was the one that was the very most successful edition of of RuneQuest, and it meant that we that people, if you get into the new edition, um, and as long as that new edition is mostly compatible with the old edition, you've got this huge library of old material that you can play with relatively little work as the GM, and then we um, we we built out new mechanics from that um starting point so the the way that the runes work the right. the the passions etc that's all new but that's stuff that that largely is player character focused you know npcs have that but from a gm's point of view you can hand wave that uh it's 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 pretty easy to 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 backwards port that it's 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 way more um player player character focused on the player character you know the player being able to really run with their character and npcs um you can build that on but you or you can just you know do what gms have done forever which is hand wave right uh, but there was nothing there, like there, systematically like it seems to me like fifth edition there's probably a lot of things that should have just gone away like I think, for instance, like having stats, that just makes no sense in the way. They well, do. what do you mean? Like a strength con? Yeah, um, like all that matters is the bonus. Nothing else matters. Whether you have a strength of 13, yeah. it's like, why do you even have a strength at that point? Maybe you initially roll to see what your bonuses are, but it just seems like there's so much that's kind of tied away. It's like, this is legacy that no longer 
is needed and we're just doing it because that's the way it's always been. And you can't really get away from changing or people will just like lose their minds. Well, yeah. And, and, and so I, if, if I was in the position, which I'm not, if I was in the position of designing a new D and D, one of the questions would be how much backwards compatibility do I want? And, you know, it's way more difficult with D and D because of every major addition is in many ways radically different. You know, okay, first and second, there wasn't that much of a, right. uh, a radical departure, but there's a huge change between second and third. Right. There's a huge change between third and fourth. There's a huge change between fourth and fifth. And and I grabbed fifth. I wanted to run for my kids. I, I pulled out my old um, uh, G1 through three. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> See, I love it. You know what I'm talking about. And you can't. You know, there's too much. I You can do it, you know, but there's a lot of work to 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 do that. They're not really backwards compatible. No, there's different sensibilities about the whole thing. In fact, I remember somebody even, I thought it was kind of neat uh, on uh, Wizards of Wobbly's podcast, the way he compares different, different uh systems is is looking at the ogre yeah so what's the ogre in fifth edition what's the ogre in advanced D? what it was like in bx and it's just like that was his you know way of comparison and they're vastly different yes i mean you have to look at so so there's kind of two different models you can have for these these games that have that you know were created um in the 70s and 80s and are still popular today you can take the there's the the D and D route, which is every five to seven years we reinvent the game. And we go in. I you know you think about it, it's kind of the game workshop model for Warhammer 40k. But, but there's some there's a skeleton that they never change, and I think that's where some of the fundamental flaws are. They can't get away from. Yeah, the, but at a certain point, if you're gonna brand something, so for them it's a branding exercise. Right. You know, if you're going to brand something as D and D, what is the what are those core things yes, exactly to be able to call it D and D? If we're going to change it, uh, we're going to make dramatic changes. Now, we um, our approach to new additions at Chaosium, our uh, uh, Uncle Ken calls it the eighty five fifteen rule, and that is when you come up with a new edition, you keep at least eighty five percent of the previous edition. Right, because that worries, and you look at it, and you, you know, people that have invested money and they have invested time in the previous edition, um, you keep those parts of that previous edition, which is what they they got sucked in for. Right, and by investment, you're right. It's not just even just a monetary, but it's also the time and mental energy, and it's up in the hard drive. They got hard drive space in their brain allocated to knowing this, and then you've changed too much. You're like. If you change too much, then they have to learn a new system. And and people hate doing that because we don't have it. Well, and, yeah. and it's fair. It is. I don't have – I don't – you know, when I was in my, my teens and early 20s, I loved learning new systems. Well, you know, I'm not anymore. I don't have that time. I don't have – I've – you know – uh, the learning a new edition of D&D is going to have to compete with, you know, trying to make sense of the new 2021 uh, updates to the uh, 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 IRS tax code um, so that I can fill up my taxes because, you know, hey, kids, 
this is the stuff you, everybody has to do. And every year you get to learn a new system. Right. Um, you know, and, and so it's not fun to have to radically relearn a system that if I've already invested in it. Right. But the question is if you can make it smoother, run better, and be more accessible for the future. Yes. And then that comes in, well, what does that mean? So with Perfect 2020 Hindsight, um, uh, when I was developing, working on the new edition of RuneQuest, I would have I would have magically been aware that in five years, we would be putting everything in terms of character management and interaction in game that would be online, right? So I would want to do something. I, I would want to create game mechanics that are as easy as possible to be able to have a, a online character creation, character management process. Yes. Um, but that's perfect 2020 hindsight. You know, back in 2015, that was not, right. you know, that was not the world we go into. Um, but uh, otherwise, the, the, the key, so when we changed the editions of RuneQuest, there were some elements from, from third edition that was like, you know, fatigue points are stupid. They're just a, an accounting exercise. Yes, there's some grognards that that love to talk about it, but I've played with them, and even them, they tend to throw it out uh, or forget about it. Uh, like encumbrance. So let's throw out <laughs> yeah, uh, encumbrance is fine as long as it's a a hey, how much stuff can I carry? Okay, I can carry that much stuff. Uh, right. A, am I going to revisit my encumbrance only if I decide to suddenly completely, you know? Uh, change my stuff. Um, and, and in RuneQuest, it's different than in D&D because your armor, your shields, and your specific weapons make a huge... That they, they don't make a marginal difference. They make a huge difference for you. So um, because in RuneQuest, your hit points pretty much will cap at what they started at. You know, they can go up a little bit. Right. You can you can you can get magic that gets them to go up a little bit. But as your character progresses and develops, you more or less start, you know, maybe you get uh, three or four new hit points during the, you know, as your 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 character manages to get some of its stats up, but they don't change tremendously. So you become much more dependent upon, well, if I can't really change my physical body during the course of the game to somehow become indestructible, then the very least I can do is get better gear. And yeah, to put, put stuff into like dodging, right? Or whatever the... Uh... Put stuff into dodging. <laughs> get really, be, you know, make sure that I uh, uh, keep my weapons, my shield and my, my weapon in good repair because they, they get beat up real fast. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I know you had another question, but this just kind of reminds me of a, a, a comment that when we were developing RQG, and, and I can't remember if it was Steve or, or, or Ken was commenting that Dungeons and Dragons is a game that is fundamentally, it's an, your, it's an attritional game, right? You've got these pools of hit points, yeah. these pools of stuff, you know, potions or spells or whatnot, that, that when I'm going through my adventure, we attrit that down. 
And the question is, is does that attrition rate, is that attrition rate faster than my progression through the adventure? Right, now, right. Conceptually, RuneQuest, you don't have, a, there, there's, there's an, there's an element of, of attrition, but it better not be you because you don't have a lot of hit points. So when you start getting hit um, and start suffering damage, it's, you know, you know, you get stabbed with a sword, it's going to hurt. And it's you know, your good chance your character is not going to continue after getting stabbed more than once or twice. So, but where you have attrition is on your gear, which is harder to deal with as you're, <laughs> you know, you're going on an adventure. So, you know, I, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, uh, you remember Excalibur, movies like Excalibur or, um, Actually, one of the best ones is, do you remember the movie uh, Time Bandits? Yeah. Okay, you remember the fight scene between Sean Connery and the Minotaur? No, I don't. Okay, this is a great scene. Sean Connery plays Agamemnon, uh, and he's fighting, or no, Theseus. He plays Theseus, and he's fighting the Minotaur, which is some English body do, bodybuilder dude wearing a cow's head. Uh, cow's head. It's, it's, it's classic time, uh, tri- uh, time Bandit stuff. And they're having this fight, and uh, Sean Connery parries with uh, his shield, and his shield gets smashed, and he has to throw it away. And, and that's one of the things that happens in a RuneQuest combat that I love is you start losing your gear because it gets broken. It, it does its purpose. And then, you know, you're, you're in some awful place like Snake Pipe Hollow. You just, you know, you, 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 you just lost a you know your shield and some of your best stuff and you cast all your big magic on on what is not you know because runequest doesn't have bosses it's just a fight there because you yeah 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 you came in on something going on and decided that this had to be a fight and here you are and you got no idea how you're going to get out because you know god i you know we survived here and we defeated them but oh shit you know we you know, my shield's broken, my sword's bent. Um, you know, John over here, John over here has a sucking gut wound. Yeah. Do we use it? Do we lose use the last of our rune points to heal John uh, to get, you know, so that John's up or or what do we do? And so it's not an attritional, you're you don't have a an attrition burn. It's in RuneQuest, once you have that fight everything might end up getting thrown out the window from your first fight. Uh, it, 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 it forces the players to constantly think, is this worth it? Right. Is, um, and I, I know we're brambling because I, there was originally a point and I've completely well, gone to off me, it. The thing is, you know, people who are old, uh, old, well, maybe the Rognards complain about fifth edition as being power gaming, but all D and D was always D and D was always a pa- I, you know I I have great fondness for D and D, but let's recognize what its its limitations yeah. are hardwired into its D and D. The very very beginning of D and D, you were playing the individual miniature from a miniature skirmish war game. That's what you were doing. And your goal was, is for your miniature to survive. You know, it went on those early, very, very early D&D adventures. It was like, I'm taking my miniature and we're going to go and do the Mines of Moria. 
And we're going to get really, you know, I want to get my level up as fast as possible. I want to get, come on, we all remember from the the artifacts section from the the Dungeon Master's Guide. I want to get the cool artifacts uh, so that I'm able, you know, Wand of Orcus or whatever the, you know, whatever cool uh, magical, unique magical artifact that, you know, player characters seem to have dripping over them at a certain point. Uh, And that was the game to a very large extent. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, what fifth edition, what I noticed with fifth edition is that those, the levels first through five, which were when I was playing D and D, those were always the sucky levels. Cause you know, you're somebody breathed on you wrong and your character died. Right. You know, it gets you past that. So a first edition character in fifth edition is now surprisingly robust. Oh, yes. And what we did kind of the same thing with RuneQuest. Your characters start out. The idea is instead of having you start out as a 16-year-old kid right off the farm, you're starting as somebody in their 20s who is already likely fought in battles and has a past history. And we're starting in media res and you're skilled enough that, you know, you're the first time you have a fight, you are probably skilled enough that if you handle it right, you're going to be able to, as long as you're not stupid, you're going to be able to survive the situation. You know, you might have to run away, but you're not going to, you're, you're not this, totally incompetent thing that has to run around and kill rats in order to 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 build yeah, up your that's, skill that's insane isn't it <laughs> and there's and a guy in a tavern I, he's got rat problems in his basement he's gonna hire you to go kill rats and then you die killing rats <laughs> yes yes it's the um and this is something kind of going to yeah. going back to the original question here that is something i think uh you know, certainly D and D is done. We've done with RuneQuest, uh, uh, do with Pendragon, which is the one thing that I think um, a lot of 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 people who play games they have fond nostalgia for the zero to hero days, but they don't have the time for it. Yeah, they want to. And I, well, I they, think the thing is, is there's a point where it's like. If you're sucky, your character sucks. It's just there's a point where that's not fun. Yeah, you don't necessarily expect I, to be like you know an elite person, but at least be a competent person. Well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and the other bit is is that that gaming time, and I don't know how it is for you, but gaming time is precious time for 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 you know at our household. We you know we try we game. We right now um, have three games a week, which is really a lot. <laughs> hey, man, I'm a professional. <laughs> Two of them are 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 Chaosium House games. One is a game I run for um, uh, my wife and 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 some of our neighbors. Uh, so it's hard to schedule that, and and for the people coming in, um, everybody, you know we're all working, uh, you know, we've got careers and professions. I'm lucky because I, you know, I, I'm a, you know, I work in the gaming industry so I can justify all of this as, as, Hey, Hey, Claudia, it's work time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm getting paid for this, but, um, 
for most people, and you know, even most people that are are involved in the gaming industry, they that luxury doesn't exist. So, as a, when you're designing a game, you want people to get to the fun stuff as quickly as possible. You don't want to have them, you know, you don't want to have them have to 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 play six or seven sessions before they're even able to do the stuff that they came to the game for. Right. And 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 getting back to that, I think that's something we did a really good job of with RuneQuest. I think that is one of the great strengths. I, I know Grognards complain a lot about this, but I actually think that's one of the great strengths of, of fifth fifth edition is that you get to the game real quick. Yeah, and I think most people when they D and D, I think the acceleration to third level is it's a pretty quick uh, step to get to third level, and I think they determined that's where the sweet spot where starting out really is about third level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only question I have is why not just start there? Yes. <laughs> um, so, so what we did in RuneQuest, there there is an argument again, kind of rambling about game design theories is one of the big issues when you play a game is i need you need time to pick up the game itself not just to understand the rules but how do these rules actually um interact with me what parts of a matter in the the particular game that I'm playing with these people and how do I get to know my character and how my character is supposed to interact with the stuff going on. And uh, a a computer game designer friend of mine, David Dunham, who did the King of Dragon Pass games, calls this the, um, uh, the, the lost first session problem. And, and uh, you know, his, 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 thesis was basically the first session of every game that you play every campaign you play is basically lost right because you don't all you're doing in that is your learning system learning your character right so that you know in RuneQuest, what we try to do that we've got that character uh we try to address that through the um the character generation process where you kind of go through this mini game to figure out what your character has done in their um uh you know what what's gone on in my life so far hey what what did my what who were my parents who were my grandparents and and in that little mini game that you play through you learn key tropes and key factions, and and you start identifying yourself one way or another with some of these things. So you're hitting the game running. D and D does this by having a hey, there's a first level. The first level you're going to kind of learn how things work, and you're going to learn what your stuff is. Uh, but don't worry. Three sessions in, we'll, you'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, I, I would say the backgrounds for those where I think are kind of quaint. It 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 really doesn't offer much compared to what I noticed with the Rune Quest. I mean, the downside oh. it's just going to take a lot longer to do the Rune Quest. But I think if I recall correctly, you 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 have like a grandparent. It's either the 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 grandmother or the grandfather who's a key individual, and then you have a parent. It could be the mother or the father that's a key individual. And you pick it. Yep, you pick who is who. Are, who are the people in your 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 uh, 
you know, which was your of your grandparents is the one that casts the biggest legacy on you dramatically. Yeah. Which of your parents is the one that casts the biggest legacy? So if you're playing you? in an area that's you know with your family's been, that can tie in. Oh, you're the you're the grandson of you know Mattia, whatever who you know, which I think is very interesting, and it does I think in a way I don't know if it'll ever cause players to actually read. <laughs> I'm dubious. Yes but it could actually get them to read a little bit of the background because there's a lot of background, I, but it focuses just on something very specific. Yeah. And, and because it's a, you know, we call it a, uh, we, we call it a mini game, but in some ways it's almost a choose your adventure game, right? Yeah. You go through and you, you, you do this, you come in and you start knowing the big factions and you start having connections with other player characters and other NPCs in the setting and you haven't had to read anything. Right. We've tricked you. We've tricked you by by having you um, play through all of that. And and you know that's a mechanic that um, uh, the first game that really played around with that was the original Traveler. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, played around with that. And um, and 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 in all fairness, when I was playing Traveler, that was my favorite part about the. Uh, uh, the game was actually the character creation. Actually, I, I, it made me angry. Like, why do I have Vaxuit <laughs> 2? Like, my only skill is Vaxuit 2. Why? <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> so I loved it because I... Uh, I get you. You started getting all these stories in your mind of of of, of your character. I, what you mechanically got for it usually was bad <laughs> suit too. A wet, yeah, it was back suit too. But you at least you came in as like, oh, I've got this background. I kind of know who my character is. And then the Greg came out with a game called Pendragon, which is still, in my opinion, you know, we're we're coming out with a new edition of that next year. Uh, but in my opinion, Pendragon is one of the the greatest games um, of all time. And one of the things that was wonderful about it is, is you 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 in character creation, you went through this family background that gave your character context within the setting. And, and I, you know, that way you could learn about the setting and not have to read, you know, a 200 page supplement. Right. And, and we took that and we, we, we turned it up to 11 for RuneQuest um, and tried to make sure that every one of the things that's going on in that is, is something interesting and uh, helps tie your character even more strongly to something important in the setting. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I like to think we did a really good job um, on, on that. And yeah, I've tried to do the the D and D five backgrounds with my kids, and uh, uh, you know, this is something. And 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 Mike Merrill's is a friend of mine, so Mike, you know my complaints about this. I couldn't <laughs> figure it. I can't figure out where the darn background. <laughs> you know, you go in. And this was another rule that uh, Ken Rolston had on a. Um, uh, when we were designing RuneQuest is if it's not on the character sheet, it's not important, right? So if there's in a big area that says character background, more than one line, then your character background is not important for the system. Right. So anything, anything in a game that I can't immediately reference on my character sheet is clearly something that's not 
most players are going to say, well, that's not important. That's just fluff. And, uh, and so, you know, when you're doing character design, if you want the background, if you want their personality, if you want the, the, um, uh, you want passions or advantages or whatever to be important in your, um, in your play, you've got to find a way that it's put onto the character sheet and you've got to find a reason why the player will look at that um, when they're stumped. Uh, right. Well, or yeah, because if a person doesn't like, you know, like one thing I did is I made a character who's um, who was a, uh, I guess, a rogue or a thief, but the background was acolyte. Mm-hmm. So the idea was he was a, he was a criminal, a street guy, and then he got some religion. So really, he's trying to do the good thing, and he's really a a, a person who's affiliated with you know, a deity, but really just a very good thief. And those skills kind of, you know, unfortunately he has to keep going back to that. You know, know, just when I thought I got out, they pull me back in. (laughs) Yeah. Michael Corleone. Well, well, not even that. It's just like, (laughs) maybe he's, he's the one that figures, you know what? Nobody else can solve these problems. I'm given these gifts of, of doing these terrible things to help these people. Like, Kind of like a Robin Hood sort of thing, but not necessarily Robin, but could be any sorts of things. But he's he's like the ones who's willing to get his hands dirty when the other people are unwilling to. Yeah, and that's a great archetype, right? But the that's thing a is, great. There's no, but that's just for me to play my character. But there's no mechanical reason because I already got all my mechanical reasons. I got my skill, my two skills. I got my starting equipment, and that's it. So there's no reason for me to ever. Unless I'm wanting to role play with that archetype, there's no reason for me to ever go back to that background. Which is a problem because what'll happen is, and 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 you know, you get Grognar, uh, you get, and boy, you know, I'm 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 using the term Grognar dismissively. I of course am a Grognar. I've been around <laughs> since forever, and you know, you know what the term Grognar means. Yeah, right? one of Napoleon's uh, old generals who would I guess uh, get together and. And talk about the old. It days. literally means grumbler. <clears throat> yeah, complainer. <clears throat> literally, that's what the term was. And and if you were if you were a member of the Imperial Guard, you were allowed one of the privileges that you had as a soldier of the the, the Imperial Guard is you could complain about things even in front of Napoleon, and you could say things and whine about stuff that would get a normal soldier you know, right. thrown into the, thrown into jail, but because you had proven your worth, you were allowed to bitch and moan as much as you wanted. Yeah. Russia's and, a bad idea, Napoleon. That was a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This <laughs> is stupid. This is stupid. Well, you know, I could get away with saying that because I've, I've also fought with you for the last 15 years on every other stupid war you've had. Um, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of old time gamers, Go well, you know, role playing doesn't. There doesn't need to be any mechanical support for role playing. You know, that's just stuff you should do. But you know, we've got me- you, mechanical support. Is it's like guide uh, guardrails, right? It gives us something where you're aware that it exists, and even if we never have to rely on it, it's there and it reminds us that oh yeah, you know, my character. I've got this background. I'm wanting to find, I've, I've got religion and I care about this. 
Um, but you know, I've also got this criminal background that constantly that I can use, but also gets thrown back into my face right. all the time. And and if if it's something that has some meaning on your character sheet, then you're gonna you you it's um uh again i'm man i'm referencing ken was ken was an incredible resource because the ken uh, ken rolston has forgotten more about game design than pretty much well any game uh, any current game designer um knows uh that didn't sound that good but that's okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah point is Ken, you know, given his background in both the computer game industry and the the tabletop industry, really is an uh, it was an incredible resource. And one of the things he said is the purpose of the character sheet is that when I'm stuck in the game, yeah, I want to exactly. grab my character sheet and go, okay, what should I do? And that's the first thing I consult. Yes. And so if you what you're saying that it's important in my game that when I don't know what to do, I want to look and, hey, there I've got this bravery rating. Maybe that's important. Maybe that's what I should do. Oh, it's it, I've got this rating here that says that, um, you know, I'm I'm um, I'm really strong in the illusion. Room. That means I lie a lot. Right. And I make stuff up. OK, it's it's there to provide a uh, a, a reminder for what I should be doing. Well, I think yeah. I think the other thing too is the mechanics uh, will create a feel for the game. So if you're running, you know, the you say we'll just take the the genre of we'll say the Cthulhu, uh, you can run it with different systems, and every system will generate a different feel. So if you yes. were to use D and D mechanics versus Call of Cthulhu mechanics versus Gumshoe mechanics versus Fate versus whatever it enforces a feel and i think when you start putting mechanics in there to incentivizes it ensures i won't say ensures but quote ensures that that type of experience is created it kind of creates rails for that experience absolutely absolutely so like if you look at all the brp games and brp means uh basic role playing so cthulhu runequest uh pendragon stormbringer yada 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 um, all of those, one of the key mechanical um, uh, experiences is that your character is both c- reasonably competent at a lot of things, but also very fragile, right? When you're playing Call of Cthulhu what, and, and people pull their guns out, how scared are you? Even if you're a really competent Right, one shot character. can ruin your day. Yeah, one shot. Yeah, one bad shot, you're dead. And that's a that's that's through. Now in RuneQuest, you're 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 um, a little more robust, and you have magic, which allows you to to do things that a you know a Cthulhu character could never imagine. Um, but at the same bit, even though you 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 you're 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 probably a little bit more sk- skilled than your Cthulhu counterpart, you uh, you possess you know, um, magical resources, et cetera. Still, you know, a, a badge, you know, one, uh, sword shot or arrow shot to the arrow and you're an ex adventurer. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a constant, that's, um, uh, a feel that if I tried to run and, you know, when, when, um, I don't know if you ever played the, um, uh, the, th- I think it was a third edition 
adaptation of Call of Cthulhu that we did. The only um, one I've actually really we officially played was whatever that white box with the mansion, 1930s. Is that the? Oh yeah, but that was classic Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, that's the only. Other than that, I've only played in. Um, I've only played either either a variation of it or like the uh, Delta Green, or I've played in a in a convention game. That's the only time I've ever played anything but classic. Okay, so you know Delta Green is basically the same. It's 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 pretty much well the same mechanical uh, structure. But if let's say we try to put um, uh, the D and D system, well D and D, I am way I am not fragile. Right. And and the other bit is is that in D and D I always get more robust as a character as I move forward in time because the intent for D is for characters to get uh is to grow in power and to elevate and become heroic and then mythic but call of yes. cthulhu is not about that it's about ordinary people and also your usual call of cthulhu character might be more skilled as they go through the game right but they're actually less robust right because their sanity is eroding their sanity is eroding. They, you know, they, 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 they are a, uh, in many ways, a less effective character seven, eight, 15 sessions in than they were when they started. Well, see, the problem was when we played uh, the gumshoe version and we played the Delta green version, I was hoping and he was running the Sandy rules wrong. I was hoping that my character would erode, but it never worked out. And I was disappointed. <laughs> I, I, and that's, and that's one of the things that, that, but that's a, to me, you know, going to what you were saying about mechanical experiences, that's so much that core um, uh, feel that you want to have in a Call of Cthulhu game. I am an ordinary person. I might be really a, I might be a skilled ordinary person. And I'm over, and I'm over my head. I'm only going to And I'm it. over my head. <laughs> yes. And it's only going to get worse. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I don't know, you know, there's a, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm uh, genre wise. At what point does this stop being a Sherlock Holmes investigation or a, a film noir uh, detective? story or or um an umberto echo book quest adventure and what point does it become totally screwed up cosmic horror and i need to be institutionalized yeah, exactly. you know <laughs> but but i know somewhere there there's this 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 very dangerous boundary that uh i'm gonna cross at some point uh in in, in the cthulhu experience and when you try to do that with a a, a a game that's all about increasing power. I don't think you get that experience. The other thing I would say is uh, I will go on record to say, I almost always really do not like playing high fantasy. Like there is no draw to me except for RuneQuest is more high fantasy than D and D. And I want to play in that, in that world. <laughs> well, it's, I was going to ask, what do you even define as high fantasy? I would say to me, high fantasy is the permeation of magic to the point where it's an everyday usage. Like that to me is when everybody's okay. doing magic to me, like to me, the sweet spot normally is Conan sword and sorcery where magic is it's rare. When mm -hmm. you see it, it's bad. It's scary, but 
but also the Glorantha, I think it's been impl- so D and D. I don't think there's been a very logical implementation of magic. Like the world would be completely no. different than what they're showing. No, I agree. I agree. But Glorantha, it's like, oh, there's a reason why it's the world's way it is. The magic is there, and it's not necessarily magic's always fireballs. It's it's other things. It's it's just a part of life. And it's not hey, bless crops. Bless crops is a day. You want to be a power gamer. You screw uh, screw these damage causing games uh, spells. I went bless crops. But, you know, the reason I asked that is, is that um, have you ever read um, you, you probably read it a long time ago. Do you remember reading the Iliad? Uh, you know, and all those. Ba- I've not read the Iliad, but I've read the Odyssey, and I love the Odyssey. The Iliad never appealed to me. Okay, okay, but in both the Odyssey and the Iliad, you have, a, at a certain point, Odysseus is both a hero and an ordinary guy that that suffers. Yeah, and he also meets loads of gods, spirits, goes into the underworld. Um, so it 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 there's a certain bit where it's a mortal dude who is quite fragile um, uh, in a number of points. And at the same time, there's an awful lot of magic in the Odyssey. Yes. And I think the other thing about him as heroic as he is, well, as heroic, that's not the right word. You know, this is why I was also telling somebody about the, you know, to me, what a bronze age game is, is, you know, what is a what is an ideal person? What is a good person? And if you look at Odysseus, he's not fighting with his sword. He is he is lying and tricking his way back home. And Crafty then, Odysseus. And then, yes. Then at the end, then you start seeing the sword come out and the arrows flying and he kills his suitors. But up until that point, it's just trickery and and sneaking and lying and you know because these things when when he starts dealing with the magical world he's a man he's a mortal yeah he knows he can't <laughs> you know uh you know the cyclops is going to kill him yes if he try you know so um how, how do I deal with that? Well, I have to outsmart it. And that's one of the things I like in w- one of the things mechanically that RuneQuest reinforces, even though you've got, you know, you can have all of these great magical abilities and be really skilled at sword. You're very good, quickly going to encounter things that you you can't fight. Yeah. Like with, yeah, with Odysseus, just, was it Cherubus? And what's the other one? The, the two-headed thing in the... In Skila. The, Skila, yeah, it's like... You're going to have to go through this, but you better figure out a way because you're not going to fight it. Yeah, it's going to defeat you. If you try to and, – and RuneQuest is filled with things very early on that it doesn't matter how skilled and magically buff I am. If I'm going to try to to do a you know, D&D players, yay, let's charge. Isn't this balanced? I'm going to die. And that's why I think 5th edition has trained people is that in probably since 3.5 is that everything is balanced. Yeah. Where you just kick down a door and you know whatever's on the other side is going to be balanced. It, Greg, Greg used to talk, tell me um, when we, you'd bring up balance. Greg said, uh, Greg said, the only balance that matters in a role-playing game is does do these things work for the setting? 
So setting balance, right. like it's right. If this little group here, are they, uh, are they so powerful that they ought to have conquered everything? Right. Well, then there's something Smog's probably not wrong. Balanced. Smog's not, but setting wise smog is balanced right but there's no like there's no hobbit gonna go kill him it's like no no he said he said if you want now game balance in that well this is this 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 foe is appropriate for somebody of this skill rating uh greg's comment was go play chess right but the thing is is there's more ways of defeating things than just directly head on so the same you know smog was you know defeated you know, through trickery, you know, Smeagol, I guess, would be more even, but through trickery. I mean, a lot of these things, Moria was just done through just running. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and, and, and that's important in your game system that, that when you're doing design is, is, you know, always, always make sure that there's a way for the players to get to the, the goal, whatever the goal is. Right. Um, that doesn't require them to have the dramatic boss fight at the end. They should be able to trick their way through it. That's, sh- that yeah. should be fine. Yeah. That, and, 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 you know, running away can be some of the most exciting adventures of all time. Right. You know, going, God, you know, we stole that diamond <laughs> and then all the orcs came and we just ran and we ran and, and the G- DM forced us to make these dice rolls and, oh God, we just made it. We made it out. Well, you know, did you guys defeat the orcs? No way. No way. But look at the diamond. Look at the diamond, man. And 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 this is just a thing on game design to 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 remember is is that with you know with role-playing games, we're in the theater of the imagination, the 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 theater of the mind. We, you know, you don't need to have the set piece skirmish be the um chief way of having a climatic um uh part of your session your your that that emotional climax can occur from running away it can occur from uh clever trickery yeah. it, it you know keep your options open well, this has certainly been a nice rambling conversation. <laughs> it's a specialty. <laughs> yeah, there's no rails. Uh, well, there are some rails, I guess. I but we have never. I've never encountered them. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, you know, the thing is, is, is. You know, there is no set agenda. It's just a matter of conversation. And this podcast is simply an excuse for me to talk with cool people. Well, I'm having a blast here. I, um, <laughs> I, I was just realizing, man, I don't even know what started this thread. Before. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, you know, I, the thing is to every person I've interviewed, it's because uh, it's all sorts of people and, you know, a lot of times strangers, but I realize, you know, as far as most of us, we're all friends. We just don't know it yet. Oh, you know, most of my, most of my closest friends, uh, I have met one way or another through gaming, through conventions, through um, 
working together on projects, be it, you know, Greg was a very, very good friend of mine. Um, uh, I met my wife at a gaming convention in Germany. Wow. Yeah. So she, I'm assuming she's German then. She's German. Yeah. She's from Berlin. I lived in actually just moved back to the States after 14 years. So I I didn't want to assume because I've got a cousin who went to, uh, he lives in Switzerland, but he married a Peruvian while in Switzerland. So you just don't know (laughs) these things. I know another guy who, who met a, uh, who did smart for my zine. He, he, he met uh, his wife. He's from, uh, he's from Spain, was in Japan and she was from um, she's from Taiwan, <laughs> so it's like Taiwanese. So when you start, we're so the world's so metropolitan. It's hard to assume. <laughs> hey, well, and what is it they say about um, uh, never assume? It makes you. an ass <laughs> out of you and me. <laughs> no, I yeah, I, I I mean this is the wonderful thing about um, uh, gaming as a hobby and 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 as a business. I mean, I'm I'm really lucky i'm at at chaosium i work with my best friends um you know i've known uh rick and neil rick rick Mainz, who's the the president uh uh neil robinson who's our our uh financial officer and uh, michael o'brien who's the head of of marketing and community outreach he uh, these are people that have been my friends for more than a quarter century uh yeah it's it's a wonderful thing because when you're dealing with gamers there's always a common point of reference we've all got our this that secret handshake you know right well i think the thing is we for me it's like at a convention it's it's the only time i actually feel like i'm with my people by my people i mean i don't know how to describe it i don't want to say we're not outcasts we're not I don't want to even suggest that, but there's something different about us that when you're with each other, there's a, I think a certain level of acceptance and a certain level of, you can share things, not just, it's not just the gaming, but there's a whole, it seems like there's a lot of other things that are in common as well. Well, to hit a, to, to put this in a RuneQuest terms, every gamer has gone through is an initiate of the cult of gaming. And it's a very broad ecumenical cult. Yeah. But there's a certain bit that we've all had as a gamer, we've all had that unique experience that we talked about before. We've created something collectively with a group of folk. We've done that uh, interactive improvisational radio theater. And we, we've, we've participated in this thing that, um, that, that doesn't – otherwise exist in many forms in the rest of our popular culture and so we're all you know we may come from totally different walks of life different cultures uh you know different ideologies whatever but we share a common initiatory experience that we've gained i think and i think also with the creatives it seems like there's also there's also more than just even that there's something else different about us that we link well with each other. And it could be like people just have odd interest. We find those things interesting. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's various, even other things about a person that we seem to mesh more and we're more. Oh yeah. And it's one of the things I love about going to game conventions. I love, um, 
you know, I was really uh, that was that had been my first game hall this year because I I'm much more familiar with European yeah. conventions. The 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 only American convention I normally go to is Gen Con, uh, and and so game hall was my first uh, smaller, although it was still huge. Uh, by European standards, it was my first uh, smaller U.S. convention, and it was wonderful. Yes. People were friendly, and they were happy, and 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 you know there were all sorts of different games going on. I you know I there was you know there was a lot of D and D of as far as I could tell every edition. There was RuneQuest. There was Call of Cthulhu going on. There was Pathfinder. You know, people were just having a great time, and. And um, uh, everybody was just enjoying being amongst their tribe. Yeah. You know, the, the gaming tribe. Right. And, you know, it, what's neat, you go to a European convention, you get the same experience. The only difference, the, the main difference is the food's better and the booze is usually better <laughs> as well. And, and, and I have to say, with with all due respect to the great city of Madison, Wisconsin, and the what's the name of the convention center there? Oh, the Alliance Energy Hall or Legion Energy the, yes, Hall. Yes, the, the the Alliance uh, Energy Hall Convention Center there. I, I have to say, going to a gaming convention in a castle is way cooler. Yeah, there's plenty <laughs> of castles in Europe from what I've heard. So it's like it's easy to get do game in a castle, but here it's like it's not going to happen. No, no, but you know that if you ever get a chance, definitely go to some of the smaller, mid-sized uh, uh, European conventions on the continent. Not England. England, most of them are in, like in America, they're in convention centers or at university halls or or whatnot. But you go to these European conventions, and I was one in, in one in uh, Switzerland two years ago, and it was held in a castle outside of the city of Gruyere. Where they make the cheese, which happens to be where the um, um, uh, Giger Museum is, so you could see all of uh, Giger's original alien art. Oh, uh, that's how you pronounce it, it. Yeah, that guy is. That was one disturbed individual. <laughs> yeah, but you know, when you're up in the Swiss Alps, you're in a castle in the Swiss Alps with this uh, you know, with, with gruyere cheese uh uh everywhere and and because it's a european uh convention oh well at 11 o'clock we must have the discotheque uh, oh my goodness <laughs> uh, and you know there's 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 other differences there but at the end of the day they're all the same tribe right so even if it's a different con experience the most important part of it is the same. Yeah. And I've, I've interviewed some people from different countries and I, you know, I'm thinking like you're from Rio de Janeiro. Why, why would you be playing role-playing games? You know, beautiful place in the earth, but it's the same circumstances. We're all the same Italy, whether it's Spain, whether it's uh, you know, in, 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 in Rio or wherever it may be, it's like, we are still fundamentally playing the same games, doing the same things and having the same experiences. Absolutely. I guess Absolutely. we're all just people. I guess when it comes down to, we're just people. <laughs> well, there is um, one of the one of the uh, religions in RuneQuest is the uh, the lunar religion uh, of the Red Goddess, 
and very controversial but but her the slogan of that uh, one of the most important slogans of uh or teachings of the red goddess is we are all us and, well but and, man, her it's probably uh it's probably trying to get to an us that we don't want to be part of <laughs> well there is always that there is always that but 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 there is an element of yeah. that that you know it, you know, if you're a gamer, it yes. doesn't matter where you are in the world. You, you are one of us. Right. Yep. And so, uh, well, this has been absolutely delightful. I would love to come back on the show at, uh, at, at some point. I'm just realizing that the time has flown absolutely <laughs> past what I expected because it's been so uh, so delightful. No, likewise, I, I've got some things to attend to today. Uh, thank you for joining me. If you just down, I take a question for you after I'll shut off the recording. But, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, uh, thanks for joining me. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll definitely. I'll have you back if you'll come on. <laughs> Thank you, and, and enjoy, everyone. <laughs>